This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3292 for Tuesday the 16th of March 2021. Today's show is entitled, Squirrel FSF Blog. It is hosted by Ben Floater 2, and is about 46 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, The Trouble with Humans and Human Things. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, boys and girls from Zen Floater, your favorite magical forest squirrel, former human being converted into squirrel by aliens in the 1960s, and atheist, and free software enthusiast. I use a lot of free software operating systems, and I thought I'd uh, just make a blog, if you will, a, a audio blog of my progress since uh, investing in Chromebooks, and I made a... Um, an audio uh, that I posted the first of the year about my experience with Chromebooks. <clears throat> I'm still enjoying Chromebooks. Um, it seems that Google is providing a update to its Chrome OS like every two weeks. It's it's providing an update. And, of course, you know, if you're a part of the Play Store and Android apps, you get a stream of updates. It seems like every day, you know, you get two to eight updates every day you check. <clears throat> for uh, the Play Store and, of course, the uh, the Google Beta and Flat Packs. Well, you get updates every week on that, too. So uh, if I can say one thing about Chromebooks, it is rather intensive just trying to keep them updated because you have to update, like, four different sources at once. And I did mention um, that uh, I think I mentioned in the last audio that I joined... Um, the Google One program, I guess, or Google Plus, whatever it is, and uh, got, um, what is it, 20 terabytes of hard drive space and use of their VPN and some other services for the Chromebooks for, uh, what is it, 99 bucks a year or something like that. I forget what the price is, it's something like that. <laughs> anyway, when you look at it, uh, the, when, you, when you look at that $99 per year cost for 20 terabytes, for a lot of people, that is actually cheaper, and I did the computations in running an OpenBSD server, which is what I'm currently running. I'm still running my OpenBSD server. I haven't turned it off. It's still uh, being used to store files. But I'm experimenting with Google, and if you didn't want to play with setting up your own server, then uh, Google One and you know Google Drive would certainly be um, one of the more affordable alternatives that you can still have, and you know, the, the news is out that um, there are more Chromebooks in play in the global populace than there are MacBooks now. You know, any of the Apple products. It's just like what happened with Android. There's more Android phones now than there are iOS Apple phones. So <coughs> Google 
Google has pretty much dominated the market as far as the the PC market goes, and uh, um, you know they've taken over from Apple, even though they're still uh, behind Windows, of course. They're not behind anybody when it comes to cell phones. You know, Android, I believe, is king of them all. But, uh, uh, and they attribute that to the COVID-19 thing, mainly uh, that uh, Chromebook sales took a rise. And really, I am impressed with my my uh, my Google Chromebook that I bought, the big one. It's, it is an impressive device, but it does keep you occupied more than Slackware at times. And you, you know what I mean by that, you know, constantly repro, uh, recompiling applications and stuff. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a high maintenance device. I, I, I don't feel at ease with it. Uh, also, I'd like to, um, switch conversations and talk about my Dell Mini 10. If you recall last year, I made, at least two audio podcasts about my lovely Dell Mini 10 uh, with uh, the Intel chip that it has in it, which is immune to specter attacks. And um, the uh, Intel, what was it, 450 processor, I believe. I'll have to go back and look. Anyway, unfortunately, I haven't been able to run the Dell Mini 10. It was running uh, OpenBSD, the 32-bit version, i386 version of OpenBSD. And I had been web browsing with it and uh, running GPotter and everything. But, you know, uh, as all operating systems become, it got so big that the Dell Mini 10 can't run it. In fact, the last efficient operating system it could run was uh, Conache OS, which was a 32-bit three uh, free liberated version of Slackware, 32-bit Slackware for 14.2. And, of course, the uh, German people who maintain Kanache OS turned it off because uh, I guess lack of interest and that's a shame. I cry for Kanache OS and the people that made it. Thank you so much for allowing me to join your world if you're listening to this. The, the people of Kanache OS, we miss you. And uh, I thought what you did was innovative and thoughtful and it worked really well. I enjoyed it. And it's just too bad that it came to an end. Um, but I, I gather that uh, 32-bit operating systems are coming to an end rapidly uh, this year and the next. I understand uh, FreeBSD is discontinuing their 32-bit efforts. <clears throat> I don't know about OpenBSD. haven't heard anything about it. I'm sure NetBSD will not be discontinuing it. Um, their efforts with 32-bit for a while longer. And... Uh, but, you know, for every port that they have on any operating system, it eventually is a death. I did find it unusual that the alpha test of Slackware 15, the one that Patrick Volkerdink mentioned on DistroWatch, did not have a 386 DVD ISO to, to test. It was just a, a 64-bit. Now, I have not downloaded that DVD and tried it. Because I've been busy with other things, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if Slackware is going to offer a 32-bit version. That you you would think they would offer the 32-bit version in an alpha if they were going to do so. So maybe we're seeing the end of 32-bit Slackware as as we speak. I don't know. <coughs> Time will tell. But I did find it unusual that there's no. There's no alpha there. Maybe they've got one over on Alien Bob's site where he's actually the one I believe that's building the uh, 
the alphas for distribution. Well, at any rate, uh, yeah, the Dell Mini 10, sadly, and its Intel N450 processor is sitting there idle in the drawer. It's been running for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, and uh, operating systems have become too big for it. It's not that the machine's broken. It can still run today if it had an operating system to run. And, you know, if I put Tiny Core Linux on there, I could probably run it, or maybe I could run it under NetBSD. There's a possibility I could put NetBSD on it. And maybe I should just explore NetBSD for the sake of resurrecting the Dell Mini 10. Because NetBSD, uh, their 32-bit variant, is lighter and smaller than OpenBSD. uses less memory. But as we all know, it's the damn web browsers that keep getting bigger and bigger. You know, you, you functionally have to have at least a gigabyte of RAM, perhaps more, 1.2 gigabytes, to effectively run a damn web browser. Now, you might be asking, uh, well... Are you still using Faguita? Well, I couldn't run Faguita on the Dell Mini 10 because, you know, Faguita loads the entire operating system into RAM, so you'd have even less memory to, to work with. Uh, now, I can't expand the Dell Mini 10, I believe. Someone said to 2 uh, gigabytes of RAM and extend its life out a little further, and I'm going to investigate that. We're going to... Uh, I hate to crack the case on it because the case has been sealed from the factory since the day I bought it. And I may just do that and change out its little 250-gigabyte hard drive with something bigger, uh, a spinning hard drive, preferably, because I don't like SSDs that much. Uh, they're kind of expensive, and I don't know. I, I kind of like the the spinning hard drives. I, I like the older things. It's like I, I still like to burn DVDs and CD-ROMs uh, with burners, even though everyone has gone to... Um, DDing an image to a uh, USB uh, portable memory stick drive. Uh, I still like to burn images. Even OpenBSD has discontinued um, the um, ability to burn DVDs. Uh, you have to get uh, you have to actually get a, a DVD that is rewritable uh, to use OpenBSD system to to burn an image, uh, record an image to a, a rewritable DVD now. It has to be a rewritable DVD. They, they set it up that way. So K3B and Base Row and, and uh, XF Burn and whatever else you might have had there, uh, they're gone from the utilities. So you can't burn a DVD with OpenBSD anymore. They, you know, I, and I hate to call them fascists, but they are. They're people that push us on. It's kind of like the story with the Dr. Seuss books, you know. Let me just tell you a story about Dr. Seuss uh, from the perspective of an older boomer, you know, Vietnam-era boomer, um, one that actually wrote code on mainframes from the 1960s as a teenager. Uh, when when we saw the first books from Dr. Seuss and we started reviewing them as adults, that they were proposing to have our children read these books, and I, I looked through some of them, um, I thought it was really quite bizarre, and that the person that wrote him must have been um, of the same mindset as Timothy Leary, <laughs> that he was on LSD or one of these high-powered drugs from Los Angeles, and he was just sort of out of his mind and, uh, you know, crazy, and we were all against it, and then when they came out with the live-action cartoons, 
you know, and we're talking about the 1970s uh, sometime. I forget exactly when, but when they came out with the live-action cartoons, for instance, The uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and I, I forget what, The Cat in the Hat, and I, I, I forget all the others. We thought it was even weirder, you know, uh, and we weren't sure that this is a good mental thing to be feeding our children. You know, there were just certain TV shows and things that I would ban around my house. You know, I won't mention some of the others, but, you know, that was the era of uh, Bob Keegan, Captain Kangaroo, and if you liked him, he was okay, but, you know, even back then, I thought strangely of Big Bird and Sesame Street. Even though it was an educational program, I thought that, uh, I felt uncomfortable with some of the um, fuzzy references that they were making. Strangely, though, I didn't feel uncomfortable about the Muppets. I, I didn't feel uncomfortable about the Muppets. They were... Anything that was uh, comedic, you know, uh, had a little comedy base to it. I, I seemed to adapt more than I would just strange people with strange characters not being comedians, uh, not bringing any levity to it. I don't know, it's just maybe a personal problem of mine. <clears throat> so I noticed today the the far leftists, you know, the extreme leftists, uh, are banning all Dr. Seuss books from everywhere they can find. Uh, I noticed they did a story on TimCast today about how the leftists have got all of Dr. Seuss's books thrown off of eBay. People that try to buy and sell used Dr. Seuss material. It's been thrown off. So, you see, in in my mind as a boomer, uh, some of these people who are, I mean, ultra-leftists, whatever you want to call them, communists, that find that they have problems with Dr. Seuss and, and and even Disney and their problems with the Muppets, I guess, and whatever else has been going on. It does reflect back to um, a somewhat right-leaning boomer from the 1970s, you know, a person that carried a rifle for a few years. <coughs> I, I just, I'm sorry, but I had to put that out. But it does kind of explain my my love affair with OpenBSD and um, some of the more console-based Linux distributions does not explain my love affair for Chromebooks, though. I mean, my love affair for Chromebooks is, is certainly weird and doesn't fit that, uh, that uh, paradigm, if you will. Well, let's move on. Uh, I've got... Uh, some news to tell you as of OpenBSD 6.8. I was just cruising through the OpenBSD website and uh, I noticed in their facts that they're admitting that you can now run the webcam in OpenBSD and I didn't think that they would ever came, come so I made a video and I've posted it to the library and BitChute on my ZenFloater 2 account um, of me making a screen recording using OpenBSD the webcam and uh, recording um, several political, you know, videos of which I'm not going to post here. I'm not even going to post links to them on uh, Hacker Public Radio, not because I'm afraid of doing it, but because the the medium of Hacker Public Radio, uh, I think, has always been known and it's been defined that this is a technology-related uh, website and not so much political. And perhaps I go too far on the political sometimes. But it was exciting to be able to do in OpenBSD what we have done in Linux for years with OBS Studio. Anyway, I wrote a bunch of scripts, got the webcam going, finally. 
on uh, this one Dell laptop. It's an older laptop. And um, I found out I could do the same thing in Figuita pretty easily. And uh, started uh, recording using uh, this blue Parrot microphone that I bought, the USB microphone that I'm using right now to make this recording, which hopefully the audio will sound good. I know you can hear a, a, a the sound of an Ultra Spark fan in the background. That's not actually an Ultra Spark. It is the um, the house air conditioning. I uh, make my recordings from the downstairs, which is a basement. And um, that noise that you're hearing that I should probably try to filter out using Audacity before I post this recording is not an UltraSpark processor fan, but uh, the, the house AC coming on. Because it's still a little cold here in Oklahoma. It's not freezing, but it's the, the heater and the heat pump has to kick on. So anyway, I made uh, this multimedia recording. Um, on OpenBSD, and it lasted for almost an hour. I made a couple of them, and I posted them up to my video site. So, you know, if you're curious, uh, Zen Floater uh, number two, um, just as I spell it here in Hacker Public Radio, you can easily search it on BitChute or Library. Um, and that's the only two alt tech sites that I'm on as far as videos, other than Gab. And uh, you might wonder why I want to be on Gab because I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. And it does sound strange, but really, uh, I'm on Gab, I guess, for the same reason a lot of people are on um, on, on their uh, independent social sites, is that they, they don't have to uh, watch others be censored off like what's going on on Facebook and Twitter and, and previous to that Google+. Plus. Um, you know, you, you might not like your neighbors, and you can mute them, but you don't have to worry about fighting some um, group of oligarchical madmen who are, and I call them madmen, even though they, in many cases, as with I just pointed out with Dr. Seuss books, they act just like I did back in the 70s, so I guess if they're madmen, I'm madman. but, you know, there has to be a limit to our power, doesn't there? I mean, we, we can't just walk all over people and... Um, uh, expect them to like it. Anyway, I'm kind of dedicating this audio to three people, really. Um, um, the first of which, let me just get my web browser up. And um, I need to go to Hacker Public Radio's site to look up the names of a couple of people. But... Uh, And I want to make sure and pronounce this name. I've got it on the tip of my tongue. It's Haku. No, that's not right. Let me get it correct. Jesus. I'm so horrible with names. Sorry about that, people. Let me find the home latest shows. Uh, the first one, of course, is uh, Mr. X, um, a longtime friend of uh, Hacker Public Radio, talking about upgrading his. Lubuntu on my Samsung N150 Plus netbook, uh, HPR3285. I just finished listening to that, and it was an interesting performance. And uh, Mr. X and I have the same opinion on um, old laptops and uh, and older, you know, Linux operating systems, and also stuff like Midnight Commander, which is you know basically a clone of Norton Commander uh, from the 1980s, back when they introduced that on DOS, if you recall. You know, they gave us uh, 
a Midnight Commander clone, Norton Commander, uh, that was a freeware application that you could use, which everyone was just thrilled with because none of us back then wanted the command line. We wanted menu-driven this and that because we we're all from the commercial mainframe world. You know, we, I don't want to type in anything on a console. So, I mean, we were all hot potatoes about stuff like Midnight Commander. And I still use Midnight Commander from time to time, even though there are, are certain younger um, hacker people who are anti-Midnight Commander, uh, anti-Debian, and, and it shows. All right, and scrolling backwards again, there's another one I wanted to give um, um, kudos to. It was some guy on the Internet who's posted multiple uh, shows but HPR3282 was his last one, HP laptop with AMD Ryzen 3 mobile and Radeon ga graphics. And you know, it's always interesting to hear people uh, toy around with it, <coughs> toy around with Linux and, and older machines. And I hope that that spirit never dies. And then the last one is, um, I let me look his name up because, you know, I always botch it. Ahuka, there we are, my Chromebook experience, 3265, that he posted on the 2nd of February of this year, 2021. Thank you, Ahuka. You know, Ahuka, I I tried to post a comment to your, um, you know, show, thanking you for the comments and, and finding them very interesting. I'll just have to do it in, in person here in my own um, audio cast because I was unable to post the comment. I got some strange message back. Anyway, I don't want to go after the, the people that run Hacker Public Radio about their comment system. As you know, I'm against pluses and minuses from my Google Plus days or YouTube days when I used to have, you know, six to 8,000 people follow me. I still have one video up there that's got like, I don't know, what is it now, thirty-two to 40,000 views or something like that that I never deleted. Anyway, I'm I'm anti-grading, social grading. I am. Even on BitChute, I tell people not to leave comments because I'm not going to read them. I and I'm I'm happy that the the platforms that I'm on don't have pluses and minuses. Well, Gab does. They have a plus, but they don't have a minus. You'd think they'd have a minus if they had a plus, but I, I don't even look at them. I mean, if you uh, the best policy is uh, if you don't like somebody, just ignore them. Don't try to eliminate their free speech or uh, mute them. But I I just finished listening to um, Bad Voltage, and um, they had John Bacon on there and uh, his pal, uh, and I forget his name. He sounds like one of the characters from Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, I forget his name. And then they had uh, the guy from Ubuntu on there filling in for um, for um, from one of their people. Let me pull up Bad Voltage here because you know I've forgotten uh, all their names. Isn't it Mr. Stewart? Isn't his name? Let me let me look it up here. Bad Voltage. Here we go. I'll get this in just a second. That's one of the beauties of having a web browser you can look at while you're. A weaponized rooster. Here we go. Let's see who is who's listed in there. Yeah, Alan Pope was the special guest star. Stuart Lagrange and John O. Bacon, and uh, they were all talking about social media sites, you know, and 
what they would do to make Twitter and Facebook better. And uh, Alan Pope suggested on um, the, their latest podcast here, which happens to be the Weaponized Rooster 3X24 from Bad Voltage. Alan Pope suggests that what they should do is uh, create more localized for your local area sites that aren't global or national in basis. And uh, that way you can exercise free speech. And they they all gave a high five up to the notion that if you had somebody that was making political commentary in a bar, uh, they should be thrown out and, and told that they cannot return to a bar comparing a social site to a pub. So anyway, in Great Britain, at least with a, a significant number of people, they believe that the best way to maintain peace and order is to violently throw people out of bars. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let me move on here. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, yes. Um, this particular laptop that I have here is a seven or eight-year-old Dell with an i5 in it. And, you know, I've been trying various Linux distributions. And uh, as you know, Fedora 33, I think it is, has been out for a while, or whatever the latest version is. And I decided, well, you know, it's been a while since I gave Fedora 33 a spin. I can afford to put it on this laptop and see what I think about it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to run Ubuntu because uh, Ubuntu... I wasn't going to put 2004 on here or, or 2010 because of uh, snaps and stuff like that. And, and they're trying to get away from Debian packaging and save money on and having to package applications because they're going to let people independently do their packaging using snap. And, you know, having thought about that, that's not a bad idea, except uh, it could create problems for, for distributions like Triscoll, <coughs> who... Um, doesn't want to engage in flat packs or snaps, even though if you notice on Triscoll 9, you can actually install flat packs in Triscoll 9. It's allowed now. Whereas in Triscoll 8, they had been banned because flat packs are full of nastiness. You may not install flat packs. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't install a flat pack at all in Triscoll 8. And somehow magically they changed it in Triscoll 9 to where you can now install flat pack. And so I, I, I was experimenting with Triscoll 9 a month before and found that out and uh, i just like to say basically the the same thing uh, applies towards snaps and anything ubudu's come up with i mean let's take a look at ubudu as a battleship uh, canonical as a battleship on the high seas from great britain as opposed to say maybe red hat which is another battleship from america on the high seas <clears throat> and you have these three battles that they've had in the past you've had the Wayland mirror battle You've had the upstart system D battle, uh, and you've had the desktop battle, GNOME 3 to uh, Unity. And on all three counts, uh, our British allies have withdrawn, and now they're going for the snaps. And the snaps does sound like a revolutionary idea. Of course, so does flat packs. <coughs> and um, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, the more I think about Snaps, the more I think about the Play Store on my Google Chromebook, because essentially that's the same thing. You know, it, the Play Store is in reality what Canonical would like to see Snaps become. Anyway, 
uh, I I think you can guess what's going to go on from there. But uh, yeah, it's already here on Chromebooks. We'll see if Ubuntu um, manages to make anything of it. You know, all the more power to them. But I I wouldn't use a Ubuntu distribution because of that. And uh, so um, I tried out Fedora, and uh, you know. Ubuntu had started the, the tradition that they weren't going to allow programs like Shutter on board because they were still written to compile against GTK2 libraries. And they wanted everybody to modernize to a Python 3 level and also to GTK3 and dump all your programs that still rely on GTK2. They're trying to clean the operating system up. And, you know, I have to give them kudos for doing that, for wanting to do it. Uh, Fedora's been trying to do that as well. And so programs like Shutter, you'll find don't exist on Ubuntu, and uh, they don't exist on Fedora. You can't get it. So you have to download a flat pack or install something else for a, you know, a different kind of screen capturing, cutting and pasting program. You know, if you want to make snapshots of your screens or windows, you have to find another program because Shutter is no longer there. Well, I, I happened to go over to Slack Builds, and I saw that they still have the Slack Build to build Shutter there. I don't know if it'll still be there for Slackware 15 when it finally comes up, but I'm assuming it will, because Slackware 15, Slackware, you know, those people over at Slackware, Patrick Volkerdink, he doesn't throw anything away. You know, he's very pro-Midnight Commander, even though you might not be. So, I mean, his operating system has all the old goodies, and uh, I might be giving that a try. Uh, when it comes out on this particular laptop. But but for now, um, I, I noticed when I installed Fedora on this laptop, I found out I couldn't install MPV. It wasn't in the repos. Um, you know, they had other programs in there, VLC. Uh, as I recall, I think they had Audacity and Audacious. But, you know, there were just certain programs that were missing, and, and many of whom had been replaced by some sort of a strange flat pack that I wasn't even sure if it was free software or not. You know, I do they even put on there, um, you know, in your flat pack? Is it is this flat pack totally free software or not? You know, what's in what's in the flat pack? I don't know. I have a hard time going through and, and auditing some of that stuff. Um, so, at any rate, I got angry and uh, threw a a what they call an Australian dummy spat, trying to go international here. And uh, I got out my um, my memory stick that has uh, burned on it a copy of LMDE for Debbie, which is a Debian-based distribution. And I know a lot of you don't like Midnight Commander, you don't like Debian. So I installed that on here because it has all the older software. And much to my surprise, after I got it installed, all installed, I found out that they'd removed uh, Shutter from Debbie as well. It's gone. So even the Debian people are being uh, fascists. God, can't believe it. I should check Dev1. I've got Dev1 installed into the laptop over here and see if they have Shutter on that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It looks like Shutter's uh, a thing of the past, I guess. I, I don't know if it Shutter's even on Gentoo anymore. Anyway, I think Shutter's probably a thing of the past, and that's a shame. Of course, in OpenBSD, I used um, Screen Grab or Screen Fetch, and uh, that's how I would get it if I wasn't running GNOME 3, which has its own um, screen capture program, you know, if you're trying to build, you know, pictures of your console or something for a document, you know, you need something.
So at any rate, here I am. I've got LMDE4 Debian. I've did all the updates, got it installed. It only took me a couple hours to set this thing up. I mean, it's a breeze and it just works so perfectly. I mean, the Cinnamon desktop has always appealed to me. Uh, I'm being pampered. Uh, I feel the hand of authority on my, my, my hind end here patting me along as I push buttons to make software come to life and install software. You know, I'm being, I'm being held by my mother when I'm running LMDE, literally. Even the flat packs, you know, installed from the software store without me having to do anything to the system other than install flat pack, of course. I've got two or three flat packs on here. Installed a bunch of software. And uh, I'm using it to make this recording right now, LMDE4. And I realize uh, that LMDE is a rolling release. And uh, it's had a bad history of, you know, when LMDE4 becomes LMDE5 and they come up with another name for it and we have to roll into that as an upgrade, it'll probably fail. Uh, that's been my experience with LMDE. Uh, well, that'll be a pity. I guess I'll just have to reinstall at that point in time. But I sure like it. I mean, it's it's nice and it's smooth and it it's familiar to me and it, it doesn't bug me like GNOME 3 does, even though I was running GNOME 3 on, on OpenBSD. It is a nice desktop and all that. We, we don't have Cinnamon on OpenBSD. If we did, I'd probably run it. But they, they don't have that. I believe they have Plasma 5, though. Even though I've never installed it. But I will tell you in Faguita, I mainly just, when I do the um, DTJ setup thing that, you know, the utility, that just type DT and hit the tab bar from Faguita. You'll notice if you're, when you're logged into root, it'll take you to the desktop setup. And you can pick a non-window manager like the ICE window manager, and he's got a really beautiful setup for that. And I run the ICE window manager most of the time when I'm running Faguita. It's uh, what I really want to do. So anyway, getting back to um, Bad Voltage and Alan Pope's comments about how we should, you know, make these small social sites that only cover, say, maybe the area of London or something and and uh, don't allow a whole lot of people into it other than locals over the Internet. That would be really hard to manage. But, you know, <clears throat> it's not really the social side, in my opinion, that's the problem or the people that's the problem. You know, I know many of you say that, well, we've got bad people, we've got to get rid of them. No, you're not. You're not, gonna, you're not going to imprison or put in a mental institution 70 million Republicans. That's not going to happen. Any more than uh, apparently we're going to imprison uh, however many BLM or Antifa are out there. Uh, that's not going to happen either. But rather, what I want to point out to is that the Internet has provided mankind for the first time ever in, in all these centuries gone by the ability to communicate on a global basis and really get to know your neighbor. <clears throat> and now that we have the capability of getting to know your neighbor, we don't like our neighbor. We don't, we don't like this, and it's we're clashing. And it's funny because, you know, I did mention that I was a ham radio operator, still am, uh, from the 1960s forward. And when I talked to somebody in Europe or Russia, you know, I, back then it was the Soviet Union, 
you couldn't hardly get anybody in China to come on. They didn't have any ham radio operators in communist China back then because no one had any shortwave radios, except unless you were a government station. You know, back then, Israel had like uh, three or four operators, so if you managed to get a hold of somebody in Israel, it was functionally an act of God. You could talk the Edmondson Scott station on the South Pole, which I used to work routinely through the 70s, uh, allowing scientists to make phone patches and communicate with loved ones here in North America on 20 and 40 meters. I did that for decades until the government put up the cell phone satellite that allowed the scientists to make phone calls home. But it used to be that they would patch right through this house that I'm standing in. I have all the radio gear over here in a special room that's still sitting there with the phone patch equipment. And the antennas and everything are still up. And we used to run uh, operations for the U.S. government and also embassies overseas, deployed military, um, on Mars, the military amateur radio service. So... um, yeah, I've been into it in and out, even space communication, satellite space communication. So, been all over the board on it. And the internet is really the problem. It's not the social sites. It's not necessarily Twitter, even though what they're doing with Dr. Seuss seems perverse to a lot of people. I'm at ease with it because I know eventually they'll quit doing it and uh, they'll let people sell Dr. Seuss books again. They They're just going through these phases of where they've discovered that they have a special power that they can use to to censor people and uh, disrupt uh, what had been considered the normal course of social conduct and try to insert something else. You know, I kind of view Twitter and Facebook um, the same way that I'd view maybe the Catholic Church, being a former member of, of the Catholics. You know, my mom was Irish. You know, my mom's relatives were all members of, of of the IRA or Sinn Fein, whatever you want to call it. You know, in the past, my great grandfather was an IRA bomber who was banished from Ireland and ended up moving to the United States to work on the railroads. So, yeah, I'm well versed and familiar with all that, and I'm I'm certainly an atheist today. I'm not a member of any of those things. But, um, you know, the problem with with social media is that we're on the Internet doing it. And the Internet's a wide-open field, just like shortwave radio was. And, you know, back in the shortwave radio days, if if you contacted somebody in Japan, you'd talk about the weather, you'd talk about what kind of radios you're running, what kind of antennas, who you might have worked in the last week, you know, and got a QSL card from, which is confirmation of contact. And you'd have some rather light conversations. They would warn you in the FCC regulations that, you know, you you were uh, self-regulated in that they they would discourage you from getting into political conversations with people overseas. In fact, um, in the oblasts in the Soviet Union, they, they would have a watchdog walking across the different radio tables because in the Soviet Union, if you were a ham radio operator, you had to go to a government station and there'd be three to eight shortwave radios set up on different antennas, and there would be a member of the Communist Party watching over you as you operated the radio, so they were very limited in what they'd say. And if you got a hold of somebody in the Soviet Union, it was generally just high by your signals, 5-9, and the weather here is, uh, you know, whatever in centigrade, 
you know, because they weren't on Fahrenheit. That reminds me, I heard uh, somebody shame us for still using Fahrenheit and uh, measuring distances in miles, feet, and inches when uh, everybody else has gone to, to metric. So they're really trying to go after everything. And the last time I remember they tried to implement the metric system in the United States was in the 1970s, and it kind of fell on its face. No one wanted to do it because we had so much already tied up in our current uh, imperial system that uh, we didn't want to, to switch to the metric system, not even for temperatures. So, you know, there's all kinds of differences between you and me. Uh, and those differences are probably not going to go away. So trying to engineer new bulletproof social sites is not going to be the the ultimate answer to everything. Uh, what I find the ultimate answer is, is called tolerance. It's a very simple word. A very simple word. It's called tolerance. You You have to have tolerance if you want to be able to interface with your neighbors because your neighbor's opinions are going to be different and in some cases in your judgment may be uneducated ill-advised uh, opinions or maybe um, you uh, want to create a social site where it is basically just a giant echo chamber of ideology which is what Twitter is becoming uh, for leftists, extreme leftists I mean, if you're a centrist Democrat, you're being banned from Twitter now. Yeah, forget Republicans. <laughs> uh, they're just taking ideology to an uh, unbelievable level. Anyway, I'll conclude and say that when Slackware 15 comes out, I think I will try it and see if I can compile Shutter on that because I'm afraid um, compiling something by hand may be the only way we get use of such software. Because Shutter is not available on LMDE, and it certainly was never available on OpenBSD. You know, um, OpenBSD is really just as forthcoming in eliminating what they consider to be rubbish, like K3B or Bayesro or XFBurn. You know, the ability to burn a, a DVD or CD—they they just threw it out, threw it out, throw that stuff out. We're not doing it. Uh, just like Ubuntu is, throw out anything that's based on GTK3. It, throw out anything that's based on Python 2.7 or whatever. Throw it out. Get rid of it. We need to get rid of this old junk and modernize. And, you know, they have a point. They have a point. So maybe we'll see Shutter again someday under a GTK3 uh, linked against GP, GTK3 libraries, and it will return someday. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, let's all say a prayer. I know I'm an atheist, but let's say a prayer for my Dell Mini 10. I mean, you've served me well, baby. You're still so beautiful and shiny. There's not a scratch on that thing. The battery still works great. It's just that the humans don't like you anymore. They don't make any software that will run on your Intel N450 dual Atom CPU. In one gig of memory. I can still run uh, console 386 OpenBSD and, of course, you know, Linux. You know, you could do that. Yeah. But the days of running a web browser, forget it. Forget it. In fact, I wonder um, if maybe the next big step for me 
And I know this is just silly talk because I've got a Chromebook sitting over here. I've got two of them sitting over here. And I've got plenty of machines with, with more than one gig of RAM. But I, I get so radical and so tied up in this that for two days I was on i386 Figuita just using Lynx and Dello. The hell with Firefox and Chromium. Because that's what uh, Kawamoto is using over in Nippon, Japan. The, the 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 man that creates it, he he uses those. He doesn't fire up a large web browser, uh, not not at all. So that would mean that there's a lot of sites that I couldn't use. I might not even be able to upload a file to Hacker Public Radio. Maybe uh, we should try that. Maybe somebody should offer a tutorial that knows something more about Hacker Public Radio. Ken Fallon or somebody that, that is experienced, can you interface with HPR and upload content using links, the text-based web browser, or Dello? Is it possible? Uh, could we maybe make a subset community that is just going to walk away from Java and stuff like that? Java-powered, you know, all the tracking. One, one of the ways that you can avoid tracking is just to avoid the web browser, right? I mean, that's that's a concern. Of course, all of my commentary is starting to sound antisocial, isn't it? Even though it's not. I mean, I could still, if I could upload files and stuff using just links, then why would you want to fire up Firefox, you know? If I could get the links to certain YouTube videos and use the YouTube downloader, then why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, oh, I got another tip for you before I cut it off. Um, the YouTube downloader program at OpenBSD, of course, is obsolete. I mean, it's one from earlier last year. It won't download anything off of YouTube. So what you can do is, if you have that installed in OpenBSD, just go out to user local bin and delete YouTube-DL. Just delete it. And then install the YouTube version from YouTube download website using the wget command and do a change mod on it. And on the top line, uh, change that to uh, what it says to user local bin slash Python 3.8. Get rid of the environment variable. And just have it directly call Python 3.8, and you'll find that it will start working again. I, I know many of you probably have wondered uh, how to do that. But anyway, that's how you get it done and, and make YouTube work again, even though... There should be somebody from OpenBSD should have uh, put out a more modern YouTube downloader on um, the package ad, you know, on our on our sites and, and allowed us to upgrade naturally. Didn't happen. Anyway, I can't think of anything else to talk about, and it's coming up on uh, close to 50 minutes. And, you know, that's enough former human being converted into squirrel and atheist commentary for, I think, one podcast. And again, let me remind you, the date of this podcast is uh, the 5th of March, 2021, on a Friday. And we'll see where we can post it um, in the Hacker Public Radio um, section, see if it's if it's going to be posted a month later or whatnot. Sometimes I wish they had two or three slots every day so we could just pop one in, you know, but they don't do that. Bye for now, kids. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. 
We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hekka Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.